Hi, and welcome to Friends of Brother Adam. My name is Dennis, and I'll be your host today. Today we're going to be doing our third installment of Queen Bees, and we will be reading an article that I read quite a while ago. Um, however, it has really influenced my direction of thinking, and I thought I would include this on this last episode. Um, it's found in Scientific American, under Royal Pains, Why Queen Honeybees Are Living Shorter, Less Productive Lives. And let's jump right into it. We'll have some discussion stuff later on, but uh, here we go. What's killing the bees? If you've been watching the news, you might answer colony collapse disorder. Yet, after the winter of 2011-2012, beekeepers only attributed 8% of their wintertime honeybee losses to colony collapse disorder. Other reasons for hive deaths were much more common, including aligning or ailing queen bees, to which beekeepers attributed 32% of their dead hives. At one recent pollination research conference, nobody seemed to be looking for the disorder's cause anymore. Yes, we're having pre pretty much transitioned from the discussion of CCD to the discussion of honeybee health, says Christina, a Pennsylvania State University etymologist and one of the organizers of the 2013 International Conference on Pollinator Biology health and policy held at Penn State in August. In fact, some etymologists say colony collapse disorder is no longer a major problem. After a spike in incidences in 2006 when condition was first described, cases dwindled. American honeybee colonies are still dying at the average rate of 30% every year. But most hives succumb to the same problems that have plagued beekeepers since 1990 or even 1890. Bees running out of honey to eat over winter and the blood-sucking varroa mite and unhealthy queens. So far, U.S. beekeepers have replaced their hives they've lost so the nation is not running out of bees. However, starting new hives is costly and difficult and stresses bees. Experts worry that if honeybees' troubles continue, one day there won't be enough bees to pollinate foods such as almonds, apples, broccoli, even lettuce. As colony collapse disorders cases declined, researchers have turned to try and understand the more common causes of ill health in bees. Some of the most recent research examines what may be affecting queen bees and how to breed more robust ones. Queens just don't seem as long-lived and fecund as they used to be, says David Tarpey, who researches beekeeping at the University of North Carolina. Sometimes worker bees even kill their own queens. This behavior is called supersedure. It is part of a healthy colony's life cycle, but beekeepers say they're seeing it occur at an accelerating rate, which stresses the hives. And it also makes it so you don't get as much honey and you don't get as many babies either. <laughs> um, it seems to be getting worse and worse every year, Tarpey says, but there's nothing really obvious that we can point to as a reason. Tarpey and the others have found some early hints. Early stage studies have implicated both pesticides for crops and for bees in the form of treatments for varroa mites. However, there's no evidence yet directly linking miticides to the high rate of queen killing. Plus, keeping colonies free of varroa mites helps their health. So that right there, stepping away from the, the article, that right there is a huge big um, 
argument between the uh, no treatment beekeepers and the um, uh, beekeepers who are um, essentially factory beekeeping so they're they put out several thousand hives and they treat every single hive the same and they prophylactically treat their hives um, people are arguing that these varroa mite strips are what's causing some of the honey or the queen bee deaths um, but then they come back with the argument oh well it's not you know we're releasing some of the stress that's coming from varroa mites by getting rid of varroa mites, but then, you know, and we just have to trade off uh, queen bee health with uh, varroa mite treating, treatment. And so, um, and then you get the people who are like, no, that's not, you know, pre-treating for varroa mites is not great but you know when you're a factory beekeeper and you're you're putting out that many hives and and gleaning all the honey you can from them and stressing them out and and then expecting them to fill up their hives with uh, sugar water um, nectar that gets turned into honey for the winter you know it's not it's not <laughs> it really stresses the bees out regardless and so you're stressing them out and stressing them out and stressing them out and we as hobby beekeepers um, have the ability and time to go into every single hive and say okay what's happening here do we have mites do our mite uh, test where you take a, a hundred bees and you alcohol wash them and see if you have mites on them and you know we have the time and the effort to nurse along a ailing hive whereas um, factory beekeepers don't have that time and uh, even some of the uh, um, people who are halfway between factory beekeeping and, and hobby beekeeping um, they the the sideliners they sometimes don't even have time to do that in depth of uh, um, seeing what's going on in their hives and uh, so they end up doing the same thing you know following the same procedures and and just treating everybody la di da and there we go so yeah that's a that's a huge big thing big huge argument that was brought up just in one paragraph there so reed johnson an etymologist at ohio state university found that exposure to a common combination or, or yeah common combination of insecticide diflubenzuron and a fungicide propoconazole increased the number of queens that die as larvae in their little honeycomb cells he presented his results at penn state so just so that you're you're catching this it's an insecticide and a fungicide that work together to knock off the the queen bees and uh, um, we've we've known this for quite some time ever since they started coming out with uh, insecticides and fungicides however his findings are limited to queen bees reared near almond orchards where these pesticides are used so um, you get people who do the contract beekeeping that go around and, and um, sell their their uh, beehives to people or rent their beehives to people and uh, then they pick them up after the uh, 
Um, fertilization of the flowers is done and uh, move them to another area and they move six or seven times in a year and uh, the beekeeper makes enough money to essentially replace every single hive he has and um, a little bit extra for profits. So <laughs> they, they really don't necessarily care about um, that they're, they're exposing their honeybees to this. It's kind of just, you know, a, a cost of business. So <laughs> um, his, his thing was limited to the almond orchard, his uh, findings. So queen health problems also occur in areas where people breed queens but do not grow almonds. I've got this little one story I don't think is uh, definitely an issue, he says. I don't know if I can really answer the larger issue, which is why queens don't last. Meanwhile, Tarpy found queen bees that spent their larval days in beeswax that was contaminated with a combination of popular miticides, uh, Kumafos and fluvenalinite. Sorry, guys. These are these are terrible uh, um, names. Um, had fewer live sperm. A queen bee only mates one day, and soon after she matures, the sperm she gets from that day supposed or is supposed to last her the rest of her life. Now, just stepping away, we know that's not necessarily correct. Um, they're, they're kind of trivializing it because uh, mating flights can last for up to a week. But, yeah. So what they're saying is the, the liver of the colony may be the problem as well. You know, the wax in the colony. So there's another reason that we should be, um, for the health of our queens, if you make your own queens, why we should be trading out the wax and only having the bees put queen cells on wax that is new that year. So something to think about, right? Um, without enough sperm for fertilized eggs, a colony would die as the sterile workers died. Workers only live a few months. Tarpy and his colleagues found miticide exposed queens had significantly fewer live sperm and unexposed queens yet than unexposed queens. Yet they also found miticides treated miticide treated hives had more honeycomb cells devoted to larvae than untreated hives. I don't really know what to make of the result, Juliana, a former postdoctoral researcher in Tarpey's lab, said, and now an assistant of professor at Texas A&M, she um, said during the Penn State conference. I think we have known for a long time that miticides can adversely affect queens and kill drone sperm, says Dennis an etymologist at the University of Maryland who was one of the first to identify colony collapse disorder. It's like chemotherapy. They know it's bad, but it's a lot better than the alternative. Okay, so I want you to sit and think about that. They know it's killing the queens and, and making them infertile quicker, but it's better than the alternative. What's the alternative? not treating them with miticide strips or 
not treating them at all, <laughs> getting rid of the cancerous agents out of the hive, getting rid of the, uh, or not cancerous, the poisonous treatments in the hive, or the poisonous treatments to plants outside the hive. Exactly what is the alternative? Something to think about. Uh, for now, Tarpy's best advice for beekeepers is to stay vigilant and replace the queens at the first sign of trouble. Yes, cost you money at the first sign of trouble. <laughs> $50 a whack. That's a great idea. Better ideas to protect hives may be on their way. Tarpy runs a program that trains beekeepers to raise their own queens. And this is where I really got my ears perked up. Instead of mail ordering them from California or Florida, which in our case up here in Canada, we mail order them from New Zealand, from Australia, and there's like one or two places in Canada that do this as well, but not too many. Um, which is the usual practice. Locally raised queens could be better adapted to their environments. So, okay, let's step back and think about this. Locally adapted queens will be better able to handle their environments. So are locally adapted queens going to be better able to handle the miticide or the fungicide and um, <laughs> herbicide are they really going to be able to handle that better no they're going to be able to handle some of the conditions better and they might be able to um, increase their colony when they need to increase their colony in Canada rather than in Australia so and they might be able to shut things down early enough and start um, start collecting more honey so that they make it through the winter a little bit better. But we're really not breeding queens to get around the, the miticide or to get around the fungicide and herbicide problem, are we? So are we uh, adapting to this chemical problem or what are we doing? Okay, back to the thing here. Um, Adding some much more needed diversity to the gene pool. And, and, and when you're breeding your own stuff, a lot of times you're closing down the gene pool a little bit more and breeding more for your area. So, um, But yeah, he, he's saying that hopefully by adding uh, different genetics that affect different behavior that we can, we can <laughs> somehow get over this problem of queens losing queens so quickly and I have found this myself um, um, another reason that queens end up going so quickly is a lot of the queens that we get are artificially inseminated um, and I have nothing against queens that are artificially inseminated I just find that they don't last as long um, I find that they're usually replaced within one season, if not quicker. And a lot of the queens I've noticed, once they get loose from their cage, they don't start laying right away. They actually go for a mating flight. 
they don't believe that they have been fertilized, so they go for a mating flight. And heaven forbid, and, and this is something that you know a lot of people don't understand, you can go out and spend thousands of dollars on queen bees that come from um, specific genetic lines and you can hope to try and keep that line but unless you live in an island where there are no bees around and no drones around that don't have that particular genetic um, wanted genetic stuff you know <laughs> they're, they're gonna get bred with something else so the first thing that these really expensive bees do um, is they come back and fly out and get bred with the local bees so exactly what are you paying the money for um, other people, what they do is they take their um, queen and a small group of the hive and they send it to an island that has, or, or an area that's, that's kind of um, blocked off from other bees, and they send their queen to be physically bred, and then the queen is repacked up and sent back. And that's a lot of money, but you know what? If you're trying to make it so that the queen feels like she's been bred and she's not going to come back and breed with mongrels back here, you know, that's that's a definite better thing than the artificial insemination. So, and then there are some of us who are of the belief that mongrel bees are actually better suited to your particular environment and have a whole range of genetic traits that are brought out by nurture here in Canada. So, um, you know, by nurture I mean the uh, climate conditions start forming the activity of your queen. Um, not, not necessarily that you take your queen out for a walk and feed her special food or whatever. <laughs> So, um, but yeah, the, the environmental, environmental nurturing that happens here in Canada might bring out certain specific qualities of a, of a mutt bee, a bee that is a Heinz 57, um, rather than trying to get in your Buckfest or your uh, specialized bee that, that you really want. So, anyways... Um, Another thing that that uh, probably does affect queens is the diet that they are fed. So, at the beginning of the the year, when you you know if you are a, a factory beekeeper, you go through and replace all your bees, all your queens, and uh, everybody gets a new queen because you want the uh, vim and vigor of uh, a new queen, um, and the new queen might not be fed as well here in Alberta um, because we don't have early um, plants that that allow for um, pollen feeding. Uh, we don't have early flows and so you know our, our earliest flow is willow and uh, then comes the dandelion and fruit trees so yeah, uh, another reason why they're not probably lasting as long is their diet really suffers during, during the year. And they have to be able to bring in 
pollen at a different time and then store their pollen as bee bread and uh, they they are fed from you know, um, bees that are ingesting this bee bread from different times um, if they're a new colony this isn't happening so you know you try and help them out by giving them artificial pollen patties but I don't know if we're getting them all the vitamins and minerals and things that they need so that might be another reason that they're not doing as well the queens are not doing as well um, and as we talked about earlier um, they do have viruses and, and essentially sexually transmitted diseases um, when when the queen goes out and gets mated with all of these drones sometimes the drones have the viruses and they transfer over into the queen their virus when they do their thing so um, you know queen queens can um, start out as good queens but then after mating end up being bad queens because they ended up with a disease after mating um, and then we have um, normal normal viruses that come from bees that are visitors from other hives and they just drop in and they end up having uh, uh, pollen or honey and they get stripped of that and they walk into the hive and they're sick from another person's sick hive so and that passes on to the queen. That happens a lot. And we've got a lot of different things that, that you know, you have to consider and, and try and work around. Excuse me, and sorry for the yawn. It's late here right now. So we also have the problem of mites. Um, these mites, they suck the blood and they're, they're uh, carriers of diseases much like infected uh, mosquitoes are for us these mites suck their blood and suck their hemolymph and uh, yeah it's uh, it's an issue that, that they end up getting sick because of these mites and so like they were saying before in the other article they um, you, you kind of have to take the bad with the good you're putting miticides in your colonies to kill off the mites and you're hoping that they don't get infected with the virus but then because you're putting miticide in there you're getting the queen sicker so then you have to replace the queens more often and just oh my gosh <laughs> and the last thing that we have to consider here you know I don't know why it's the last thing but you know when you're pointing at something you always have to look at your hand because there are three fingers pointing back at you unfortunately beekeepers happen to be their worst own enemy proper management of honeybee colonies is a critical component of the health and productivity of the queens many of the stressors listed at, that we're going to be talking about can be mitigated by using proper techniques. Beekeepers need to place their colonies in appropriate locations which allow access to appropriate foraging sites and are distant from areas where pesticides are being applied. Honeybees can forage up to five kilometers away from their colonies. So we need to have uh, really good um, uh, relationship with the uh, 
people surrounding within five kilometers distance of our hives, uh, getting the farmers numbers, asking them if they wouldn't mind uh, telling you when they're going to be spraying their pesticides so that you can cage up your uh, your bees in their colony during that time or move the bees out of that area during that time. Um, we need to also be looking for uh, crops and things that are appropriate for them to be eating on. Um, up here in Canada we have a big issue with uh, honeybees eating from canola. Now, um, and canola for some reason doesn't have such great um, nutrition for our bees. And the other thing that canola has is the honey that they do store up from canola crystallizes really quickly and your bees will end up with nosema because they can't uh, process the uh, honey that they have stored because it's crystallized and they have a lot of issues. So having the right crop that they're around is very important as well. Beekeepers can provide supplementary nutrition in the form of sucrose solution or protein patties during periods of low nectar flow, which is something that we have to do up here in Canada, both spring and fall. Um, beekeepers can monitor for pests such as varroa mites, nosema, microporidia, and use chemical or non-chemical methods of, to control these as needed. Um, and not do it prophylactically unless you absolutely have to. Um, beekeeper, beekeeper laziness happens to be a very big, big problem. Um, and that's one of the things that we get into when we talk about flow hives. Um, people look at flow hives as the ability to cut out many steps of um, beekeeping as possible so that they can get their uh, precious sweet nectar from the bees and not have to stick their heads in the hives or worry about problems and well that's just not the case and uh, beekeepers are a little bit lazy as well because well these are livestock so you have to treat them like livestock and you have to be in consistently into your uh, beehives in order to make sure that you are uh, assessing the conditions correctly. Now we're getting some technology that we're able to be a little more lazy with. Um, having the hive monitors, we don't actually have to be in the hives as much because we can take some of the information from those hive monitors. But beekeeper laziness is a huge big thing that causes uh, queens to not be able to function as, as well as they could. Uh, we also need to be replacing brood comb with fresh comb and encouraging um, the brood colony area to be freshly made comb either that year or the year previous and, uh, and at the very least being able to rotate your comb out every three years or every five years. Now people who uh, are um, trying to make as much honey as possible that's usually not a thing with them they you know because every time a bee makes a pound of wax they've consumed six pounds of honey so it's not a good trade-off for people trying to take honey from the colonies so they like to keep their wax around longer and they run into problems of you know that black comb and and the liver of the hive infecting your honeybee and causing all sorts of issues so 
Yeah, we're our worst enemy in that area too. Make sure you get your fresh brood comb in there um, using starter strips, have them make their own comb. Um, the other thing that we do is we like to have beautiful hives that don't have the cross comb and you know we go in there and we shave off the cross comb and we're putting in uh, plastic inserts into our into our hives and that plastic does off gas and so we're putting plastic fumes into the hive which is causing a little bit of issues with our queen as well so you need to be aware of that and and that's one of the reasons why I, I suggest that you keep your brood area without plastic combs in there and also why you should be replacing these as much as possible. Um, the plastic also invites wax moths into the hive. Uh, wax moths actually eat the plastic <laughs> inserts so that's one of the things that they are attracted to is the smell of that plastic. Um, so if you want to keep wax moths out of your hive that's a good thing. Doesn't necessarily have to do with uh, the queens though but uh, the off-gassing does infect your queens a little bit with its uh, poison. Um, using genetic stocks of bees that are more resilient to pests and pathogens is also an excellent way to reduce complications from these two stressors. Um, and uh, I, you know, it is such a big issue, the genetics that you're getting. But in this day and age, you know, people are looking for the cheapest bees that they can get. And so they will buy whatever breed that they can get and they don't care. They've got mutts. They don't care. Um, I personally, like I said before, prefer mutt bees rather than um, bees that are just one type. Um, however, I as well have not had enough money to go out and purchase these wonderful strains of bees and uh, you know you you listen on the internet to uh, the fat bee man and he has um, over the years put together a breed and strain of bee that is very gentle and very nice uh, wish I could get them but according to uh, Canada I can't do anything um, getting US stuff across the border because the borders closed to United States stock. So thank you government for screwing me again. <laughs> so anyways, um, yeah, so in that way we're also um, making our, our queens produce less because we have not been able to get the traits and things that we want from the queens across the dang border. Um, Finally, rapid supersedure or poor quality queen honeybees can lead to colony losses and thus purchase, purchases queens from excellent sources or rearing queens locally can improve colony productivity and health. Um, so, and, and the, other, the other thing that we do as beekeepers is we routinely squish queen bees. We are in our hives a little too much, usually as, as hobby beekeepers, and uh, there is a chance of squishing the queen every single time we move one of these dang frames out of the beehives. So, you know, as you're learning, yes, you're going to have to move 
these frames. You're going to have to get in there, trim off the uh, burr comb, and and service these hives and get used to what the bees are doing and be able to assess beehives just by looking at them um, and and doing some of the things that you know some of the hive interpretations that <laughs> you know you need to do and you're not going to be able to do that unless you're in your hives constantly however as you get a little better at, at beekeeping and as you get some more experience I would suggest that you decrease the amount of times that you get into your beehive because you're stressing out your queen by popping her up in the air and the light because they don't like that and uh, possibly squishing them possibly damaging them um, Another thing that, that uh, some beekeepers do is they clip the wings of their bees to keep the queen in the hive. You know, if you've purchased a very expensive queen, you want to keep her in the hive and not have her abscond. So um, that's, that's another thing that beekeepers do that can possibly harm your queen. You know, you open up that area of her to possible infection from... Uh, um, pathogens inside the hive by clipping her wing and the other thing is she doesn't do as well once her wings are clipped because she can't fly from one side to another uh, with brief flights between combs and and you know it makes it so that she has to work a whole lot harder just to get to where she wants to be to be able to lay her eggs so you know we as beekeepers are our own worst enemies with queens so I would encourage you to think about your beekeeping regime Think about how you're going to be treating your bees. Think about how you're going to be replacing your your um, wax combs. You know, think about all these things, whether you're going to prophylactively treat your hives, whether you're going to be um, making your own queens, or whether you're going to be ordering new batches of bees every single year. Um, how you're going to be treating your your hives whether or not you're going to be transferring frames from old beehives that have died out to the new beehives with with uh, a new package of bees in are you spreading the germs um, what are you doing as far as your um, hive uh, um, um, <laughs> your your hive cleaning you know are you switching out boxes halfway through the year so that they have a new box that has been uh, um, um, burnt with flame. The inside of the box has been burnt and sterilized with flame or, or dipped in, uh, you know, some kind of antiviral, antibacterial agent. Um, are you um, washing your tools in between your hives that you're going from one hive to another in, in uh, some pretty strong stuff to, to wash off some of the bee diseases? Are you um, regularly washing your your um, bee suit? Are you doing the things that, that you know you should do, like not setting um, the beehive stuff directly on the ground but putting it on a mat? Are you uh, trying not to order your bees from a, a bad source that would possibly not be uh, checked by uh, uh, inspector you know you need to you need to take a look at all of these things that you're doing and whether or not it's affecting your queen and uh, and you know it's a lot of stuff to be thinking about and there are a lot of people who get really down in the mouth about this um, and 
no beekeeper can be perfect with it but we try and we try and do our best and we do our best for our queens so i would encourage you to look into making your own queens i would encourage you to do all these sanitary practices i would encourage you to you know do your own research and make sure that you are um, doing the best thing for your queens anyways that's all for today and i really appreciate you guys listening i know this has been a lot that we've gone through in a short time if there's anything that you guys have uh, questions with um, you can contact me through my uh, email um, that's uh, fatbeehoneyranch at gmail.com uh, and uh, let me know if you have some questions um, also we will be getting uh, a pay site up and going so that you can listen to some of these recordings and, and see some of the uh, uh, stuff that I'll be doing this summer and we'll be putting it on that site behind a paywall so um, just a little something to help me <laughs> make a little bit more money to uh, provide you with uh, the excellent material that you guys are have been used to getting on this podcast but also on film and uh, possibly some uh, course materials as well behind the paywall. So appreciate everything, guys. Uh, if you found this to be uh, a good thing for you, make sure that you like um, or whatever your platform does for uh, giving kudos to the podcaster. Um, please do it for me. Uh, it really helps out and helps people get exposed to this. It helps the algorithms pull people in. So anyways, appreciate you guys, and we'll talk with you later. Bye.